Porn Free Radio, episode 142. On today's episode, we're talking about your porn, her pain, how partners heal with Lori and Jay Pyatt. Let's start the show. Welcome to Porn Free Radio. This is the podcast where motivated guys who want to quit looking at porn, get hope, and take action. Even if you feel lost right now or out of control, you can recover and live a meaningful life free from shame and full of love. Now here's your host, coach and podcaster, Matt Dobschutz. Well, welcome in. It's Wednesday morning, so you know what that means. A new episode of Porn Free Radio. That's right. Through the end of the year, every Wednesday, there will be a new episode in your inbox, in your podcast player, uh, ready to go. Uh, No fail. It's a commitment I've made for 2018. Now, last week, I invited you guys to commit to Porn Free Radio by setting up a monthly pledge uh, at our Patreon site. Now, you can get there by going to recoveredman.com slash contribute. That's recoveredman.com slash contribute. Set up a monthly pledge, and every month, you'll be reminded of your commitment to be porn free by supporting the Porn Free Radio podcast. And we had a couple guys sign up this week, which is awesome, uh, including one guy who wasn't so anonymous, Jason George, the Grizz from the Grizz podcast, throwing down and supporting Porn Free Radio, which has been awesome. He's been a big support of the show on his podcast, and I love uh, the Grizz podcast. So if you're a Christian guy and you want to be encouraged and you want to be built up, get over to that Grizz podcast and subscribe uh, he's a great guy and a great friend of the show, and I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go in and uh, put in the sample of the growl, but you know the Grizz always has this growl sound. So um, go ahead, guys, and join the Grizz and support Porn Free Radio this year. Contribute, uh, set up a monthly pe- pledge at recoveredman.com/contribute, and. Uh, I really appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much for your support. Let's get into this interview with Lori and Jay Pyatt. Now, I asked Lori and Jay Pyatt to come on. They appeared with me at Michael Leahy's uh, Breaking Free Online Summit in December. Now, they are both coaches. Now, Lori works with partners uh, of guys coming out of porn addiction, and Jay works with guys... Uh, struggling with porn addiction, but they have a specialty. They work with couples. So if you've ever been at a stalemate in your marriage related to this issue, if you've been struggling to communicate, even in recovery, there's recovery happening, but there's still all these landmines related to the pain and the betrayal of porn addiction, you want to listen to this episode because Uh, Jay and Lori tell the story of their marriage and some of the things that happened along the way. And we focus specifically on Lori's experience. So whether you're in a relationship or not, you're going to want to listen to this because chances are you might be in a relationship in the future and you're going to need to know how to navigate these waters of talking about your recovery and talking about your struggle with pornography. And so you can learn some stuff from these guys and some of the hard work that they've done. And um, 
at the end, they talk a little bit about their work with couples. And so I'll have links to their websites uh, at recoveredman.com slash 142. But let's invite them in and let's start the interview uh, right now. I had seen pornography growing up. A friend of mine had, like, she had an older sister who had a boyfriend who was living with them, and they had some, and so she did get out of the trash can, so I saw a little bit of it, um, and it was, like, more than, you know, Playboy, I, I can say that, um, but that was my only exposure to it, so whenever I met Jay, it was right as the internet was coming on online, you know, um, 94, 94. So I didn't know much about, I didn't know much about email, the inner office email, let alone the internet period. So when he said he had an issue with inner, you know, porn, I thought at first it well stop the magazines. He said, no, this is on the internet. Okay. Tell me more you know? Yeah. And so I thought, you know, again, thinking, cause that had been years since I had seen any pornography. I thought, well, it's just women in bikinis or, you know, what you would see in, in Playboy. I had no idea what was out there. Um, and he was sure that marriage would take care of the problem. I was very, very hesitant. So you guys were, were kind of dating when this came out. Yeah. 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 He was very open with it right up front because he was tortured by it. He hated it. Um, and he again thought that marriage would take care of it. And, um, I was very hesitant because I had been cheated on before and just instinctively, I kind of knew that, uh, that pornography was like one step shy. I just kind of instinctively knew that it's meant to lead somewhere that it didn't ever satisfy. And, um, that it would be acted out. And um, so I, you know, wrestle with when he started talking about marriage, I wrestled with it. I wrestled with God on the subject. I talked to my spiritual mentors about it. And, um, but every sign seemed to point to that. So there were some hesitancies there. What, you know, what made you go forward with, with the relationship? And I thought at least he's trying to fight it. At least he hates it. I believed him when he said marriage would take care of the problem. Um, the signs that I got from God and, and just the, the people like that I was going to for spiritual mentorship, they said, we really think God is in on this. We really think he's up to something here. Like he has a plan through this. And I've never been one to shy away from a challenge. Um, and I, I've always like run forward to my fears, you know, take them on head on. And this was a big one, but I thought at least I will get over my fear of being cheated on, you know, right. at the very least that will happen. Um, so I, you know, took a leap of faith and went for it. And so that's, that's how I made that decision. <laughs> You get into the marriage, and when do you start to realize there's an issue? I don't remember exactly when I found it on the computer. I was frightened of it right off the bat, you know, so we had some very heated discussions right off the bat. And I can't remember if it was six months in that I actually found something on the computer or like two years in, but somewhere within that first two years, I found it on the computer and he admitted to it and um, he said he wouldn't go back. And I trusted him. You know, I think he 
started meeting with somebody or started a men's group at that point, you know, each time he would add something new or make another promise and he followed through on it. And I, you know, okay, great. That's going to take care of the problem. So Jay, you were, you were caught and then took responsibility for it on some level and said, I'll do this or I'll get into accountability or something like that. Yeah. You know, the, the, so this was before any of the software, but it was, I'll go to the men's prayer meeting on Saturday morning. I'll talk to my, you know, the other guys that I'm close to in the church and, and confess it to them kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, so this was 95. I had dial up access at work because I was in the computer industry and then I had dial up access at home. Back then I remember struggling. I remember trying to tell people about it and they like, kind of like Lori, they, I was having to explain the technology to, to what I was doing because people didn't even really have a good picture of what it was. I mean, nowadays everyone kind of has an idea, but back then it was, yeah, the idea of having a filter wasn't an option. And what do you think the, at that point, what was the level of dependence that you had on porn in terms of ritual and acting out? Between 90 and 95 or 95 and 2000, Lori confronted me probably three or four times there was a couple of points in there where, yeah, I was using at work. I think there was one night that I used it at home. She came close to catching me and I was like, okay, I'm done. Uh, at least at home. It was maybe once a week at work, maybe twice a week at work, kind of depending on how much access and how sneaky I could be. I wouldn't say it was as bad as it got. It was pretty consistent you know, until I got caught again. And, and then I, you know, let's try something new. So it definitely, there was a, uh, it was progressing. You and I lived through this, but the, the technology is getting better while things are going. So you may have been looking at a few pictures here or there uh, in those early days, cause it was harder. And then it becomes easier and easier to binge or to go deeper because every year the technology got better. So when, um, Lori, when, so you found some stuff, you, there were a couple of times that you caught him. Um, he sort of doubled down and I'm, I'm done with this and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to get an accountability or men's group or whatever. When do you realize, wow, this is a bigger issue than, than just a one-time kind of thing? He went to a, we'll call it an experiential retreat, um, where they really dealt with all sorts of issues. You know, it wasn't just this, but he came home and he confessed. That was the only time he ever confessed. That was in 2000. And so I thought he, he was doing really good only to find out, no, I've been struggling. I've never really ever quit, you know, since the very beginning. So and there was, you know, there was escalation. It was attraction to women at work. That's what got me. He, yeah. he confessed one night and then the next night he said, I have more to confess. And while I was thankful, he finally was doing this. I mean, he, I could tell he was motivated this time on his own to get help and, or to not get help, but like to be free of this, you know, and the signs were that he was confessing everything on his own. But here it was my worst nightmare coming true that it was like he did have frequent attraction to women at work. And so what I'm hearing as you say this, you're you're excited by some of this change you're seeing in him. But 
this is your worst nightmare realized on some level, hearing that there's this these lies that he's been telling and then these attractions that are one step away from an affair. How did that how did that make you feel? It was scary, very scary. Um, I wasn't at a place of thinking I would leave him at that point. And it wasn't just the porn. It was all our conversations trying to talk about it up till then that were worse than the porn. That he would kind of blame me and so I would kind of shift a little bit. That was probably more painful that he would say it was about the way I looked. And so I would try to change the way I looked. And then he wouldn't. It's like it was too much or not enough, but he wouldn't accept it. And so where I came into the, the relationship very, very secure with myself and the way I looked, the man, the only man who I could accept compliments from was no longer even close to complimenting me. Mm. And that's painful. That's really painful because I couldn't accept it from anybody else if it ever came. Um, and I mean, there were more, there was much more to it than just that. That's just what's coming to mind right now. And I mean, he had issues with knowing how to compliment a woman well, you know, so, and just in general, overall issues with not just how to relate to a woman, but how to rebuild trust and, and those sort of things. So it was just the it was almost like finally we're talking about it finally it's that and finally I know that my gut feeling of I think he's not necessarily being honest about it I think something's going finally I know that now what and the now what was the harder part you know how do we get through this how do we rebuild trust how did you rebuild trust like what were things that allowed you to trust him every time it was his motivation to get better it wasn't so much that I trusted him because I don't know that I did yet. There was still that lack of humility, lack of brokenness that I sensed. Um, every time I tried talking about it, he'd bow up, get defensive or blame, shift, or in some ways deflect. I just had to kind of scale back into God and, you know, get closer to God, hope that everything was going to turn out okay, even when we couldn't have any semblance of decent conversation. In those early days, what kind of support did you have? For me? Mm -hmm. I'm the type of person who cannot not feel my feelings. Um, so I was talking about it with people right off the bat. At that point, it was more like, what do we do about this situation? You know, talking about, well, I think my husband's being honest, but what if he's not? You know, and, and trying to find out what works for them. And not always getting the best advice because um, the situations were much much different the situation is much different when the guy's being dishonest versus when he's telling her every time he stumbles you know which can be a different different type of injury but um i uh, went to counseling for another issue um but ended up talking about this and i've always been one to read self-help books and, and try to do the things i was supposed to do God was consistent in it. He was by my side the entire time. So that was a great help. 
I remember reading something that you said, or maybe it was in an interview from the Breaking Free Summit. You talked about going to a therapist and asking her a question. What was the question that you asked? What am I allowed to feel about this? How am I allowed to feel? How angry am I allowed to be about this? And where did that question come from? What's 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 underneath that question? Because I had been told so often that you're making too big a deal of it. You need to depend on God more. Isn't God enough for you? And so I'd really kind of learned asking those questions wasn't necessarily safe. Here I was sitting in front of a Christian counselor, afraid I was going to kind of get told I was doing it wrong or feeling it wrong. And again, I'm, I'm the kind of person who cannot not feel her feelings. And so I was very hesitant to just put them out there. You know, I was almost, I was asking for permission to hurt. Yeah, that I think that that's a predicament that a lot of partners have is that it's really, it really hurts. You, you're in the place of sort of trying to support the guy recovering but it's like, who, how do you recover? Yeah. Right. How, ma- how many times have I seen the dynamic of the guy who's, he's just confessed everything to his wife and he feels like he's been freed, released from prison. He's finally gotten all of this off of him, not realizing he's basically just put the garbage truck right on top of his spouse who's wants to be supportive, but at the same time is like, you know, at at one point, Lori said to me, I don't believe this is your issue anymore. But I was lying so consistently that she did not have any idea that I had returned to porn after a six year break. Right. So I was lying so well that she thought this was no longer my issue. And then for me to come out and tell her, I've been lying to you for the last four years. I feel fantastic because it's finally out in the open. But, you know, she, the way she describes it is being smeared across the pavement. That's the kind of pain she was in. And, and then trying to look at her and go, well, can't you encourage me? Well, can't you say, wow, good job, or any of that kind of stuff. Look at all the good stuff I am doing now. Yeah, yeah, that's like a, that's like trying to speak a foreign language that, that it just, it's almost impossible. So for the spouse to be supportive, encouraging, grateful that her husband's not using porn is like, that's not going to happen. You should have been doing all that stuff before. <laughs> yeah, know? when I hear that from, from guys, I just want to say, you know, are you, how often do you thank her for not having an affair? How often do you thank her for not using porn, for not replacing you in her mind when you're in bed together? For the guys who are listening, if you want her to be so thankful, just understand it's not normal. <laughs> Well, hey, I want to fast forward a little bit. There, There's all this stuff that's early on in the marriage, rebuilding trust. There's been these staggered disclosures, which have had to been painful. It's like, you thought you knew everything. And no, there's also lying. And there's this. And it's stair-stepped up. When does it start to get better? When When's the turning point? For us, it started to get better, for me anyway, because we could finally talk about it. Um, 
the second thing I did after he confessed was I wrote a journal entry and it's just really short and sweet. You know, God, please help me uh, or please help us. He's been lying to my face every night for four years. Maybe we can talk about it now. Maybe this, I think it's maybe this time we'll be able to talk about it. And um, we were finally. And, and it wasn't that the conversations went well whatsoever. If you've heard my story, you know that I really wrestled with God was staying. And the thing that kept me this time was me feeling like me telling God, if I stay, I, I will have to do this differently. And I felt like he said, finally, you know, fine, you know, do this. I felt like I finally had God's blessing to, or maybe my own blessing to not follow the typical advice given to women. And so I wasn't going to take no for an answer this time on whether or not we could talk about it. We also, you know, started doing some other things right off the bat that really helped it get better really early, but it was, we went through long phases where it was horrible. So, so let me, let me back up. You, so there was this, you, at one point you t- asked the counselor, can I have permission to feel this much for this? Um, so giving yourself that permission. And then there was something I heard in your story about realizing you have choices. What, what was that about? I think right off the bat, I realized even within myself before I visited the counselor, this has gotten bad. This has gotten bad. If he's lying to my face every single night for four years, there's an, an issue there. And that he did seriously consider affairs. I knew we were on very shaky ground. So right off the bat, I kind of gave myself permission to not stay if I didn't want to. That started releasing myself from there are just some things you will never do. And so I told him, look, I can give you six months. I will give you six months to see how much this changes around and I will reevaluate. Six months came and I was like, okay, I can give you another six months, you know, and not like those six months were great. It was just, I started seeing progress. I started seeing a little bit of hope. Maybe this new way of tackling this issue would eventually lead to a really great marriage. Something that my counselor told me early, early on, she said, you know, Jay's porn issue, and this is my counselor, Jay was not in the room. She said, Jay's porn issue actually is based on a a healthy need. He's not turning to drugs. So he's not just wanting the high. He wants a relationship. He's turning to women. He's not like wanting to be powerful, so overworking at work. He wants a relationship. That's a healthy thing. That's a healthy need just taken in in a wrong direction. The other stuff you're describing, Lori, those are character issues. That I think is part of it as well, that just because you quit porn doesn't mean you have a stronger character. I think a light bulb goes off in the women I work with when it's like the stuff that's happening in your relationship right now would tear down any relationship. It's not porn related. You know, if, if he can't show up well in conversations, if he's not 
um, humble, then that kind of stuff would tear up any relationship, porn or not. It, it seems to me too that uh, you weren't just going to be an innocent bystander in this this thing. Um, you're you upped your game in terms of even asking questions. Um, you talked about using a tool to to talk to him and. And and I I don't remember how you said it exactly, but it was like you weren't willing to take no, just no for an answer. You know, are you struggling with this? No, that wasn't a good enough. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was part of it. But what I meant by not taking no for an answer was I was not going to not have conversations about this anymore. Right, right. To, we were not going to do this our old way at yeah. all. Old, yeah. I saw what old ways gave us. Yeah. And the same results or worse. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it wasn't so much, you know, for the guys that are listening to this, it wasn't, she said, Hey, can we talk about how bad it hurt when you lied to me more than a thousand times? And me saying, no, I don't want to talk about it. It was me saying, well, it was only 950. So if you don't get the 950, right, then, then, then we shouldn't be having this conversation. Right. And so then it wasn't me saying, no, I don't want to have the conversation. It was me saying, if you don't get the details correct, let me distract you from the overall, you know, conversation, Um, which is a really kind of a a sneaky way of saying, please shut up, you know, and, and, or it being about, well, no, no. I really didn't say it that way. I said it this way. And again, going back into the details, back into the weeds and, um, you know, for the first two, three years, the, the one thing Lori said to me consistently was you're doing more damage while we're trying to have a healing conversation because I would bring up stuff that I, I wouldn't bring up in other context, you know, all this other stuff. So we really had to learn a whole new method of conversation. And she was the one that kept saying, no, we're not going to do it this way. And so she kept trying to find a new way to engage with me. And some of those ways of getting my attention were to pack up and leave. Because I needed, I needed to know there were real stakes in this game, you know. Not long term, just like yeah, for a few days. Just yeah, she days. would, she would take a day or two and get away from me so that I could kind of see what was going to happen. Jay, what were some of the things that shifted for you when Lori started doing things differently, or or sort of putting these different things out there? What shifted for me was really seeing the why of my recovery. So yes, I desperately wanted to stay married to Lori. I wanted, you know, I'd been divorced before. I, uh, even though that was a train wreck of a marriage, it was extremely painful to recover from. And, you know, there are great things about Lori that I still wanted in my life, but you know, as she started to ask these questions, what shifted for me was, you know, I can't, I can't say that it's her fault because I chose to look at porn before we ever got married. 
You know, I had all of my inability to relate to her as a woman existed before I met her. So I had to start learning new things and, um, you know, trusting that, uh, so like one of the big things I had to figure out was I simply didn't trust her as much as I was the guy telling every single lie. I didn't trust her to treat me well, to respond to me well. And so she actually started writing it down. She's like, on this day, did I respond to you well? And I would have to sign it and say, yes, you did. I agree with you. You treated me well on this day. Well, I, I mean, there's two ways to look at lying. Uh, lying is I'm deceiving you because I'm just a horrible person and I'm evil and I'm hiding all my my stuff. And another way is I'm hiding because I think if you know what's really here, you're going to reject me. And so, and I think specifically religious guys get into that trap a lot in marriage, in accountability groups, in, in accountability relationships. They're so fearful that if they really were honest about a setback, uh, um, even some unsound activity, that they would get hammered. And so they they avoiding the rejection and the shame. And so press, you know, in some ways, the more you can press through that shame and that getting that out of the way, then that, that gets the lying out of the picture. Right, right. And I think it's a... Whether it's good, whether it's with evil intent or self-protective intent, it's still about our image. What do I want you to believe about me? If I'm evil, I want you to believe that I'm the good guy, you know, the, the whole politician car salesman line. But if I'm a good guy, what I want you to believe about me is I'm really a lot better than what I know myself to be. And that whole question of our image of who we are, that takes a lot to unpack at times. Oh, that's a great point. So you start doing things differently. The dance is different. When do you start going, Hey, there's like, there's like some healing that's happening here. Like you're, you know, you're going, no, this is what it looks like to have healing. I can probably tell you in, I don't know by showing you books, our first six months, because I recorded everything, every conversation, um, every journal entry, I put in a binder and it's probably this big and the second six months is about this big. You're making, so I'm, I'm looking at this uh, for the podcast audience here. You're, you're making, it looks like these binders are like, like um, scientific binders, you know, with like three, three inches of, of paper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure they're five or six, two, two five or six inch binders full um, for the first year. The second year was almost that much, maybe nine inches of paper or nine, in, you know, um, in two binders. And then by the third year, it goes significantly down, you know, to maybe a two inch binder. And then the fourth and fifth year, well, a half inch binder. So um, it did in that, to, to hear therapists talk, um, it takes a good three to five years to make that, you know, to, to heal from those type of things 
I think whether individually or within marriages. So it's, we were right on track, but I'd say it was a good, the, the first three years were the bulk of it. So you're, you're basically saying that like, as you're, as you're getting stuff out, as you're co- communicating, um, dealing with things as they come up, you're, you're generating paper and there's less sheets, like there's less stuff that's coming up and it's because there isn't new things being introduced. There's not new patterns of lying or activities and there's, and there's less, uh, more of the pain is getting, um, transmuted or getting released. Shorter conversations required fewer pieces of paper. (laughs) Right. Well, and I, I would love to say, Matt, that some of those pieces of paper weren't photocopies of previous conversations where she said, we've had this conversation before. This was the answer you gave me then. This is what we're going to talk about. <laughs> you know, I mean, so much of this was was just simple, either boneheadedness on my part or going back to that image thing of still wanting to get the spotlight off of me, you know, as being the source of all all of this pain for her. And it, it was scary to think, what if I embrace this? What if I really tell her, I agree with you, I'm the source of a significant amount of the pain in your life. What does that mean about me? You know, and I fought and I fought believing that for a long time. And I was thinking, you might have caused this, but if you're the the source of it, I can tell you how to stop. I can tell you how to stop hurting me. So you can also be the source of healing here. So Jay, how do you guys talk about stuff that comes up for you now? Like, let's say that you're at work at at a work situation and you have, you're drawn to someone. There's like some level of attraction. How do you, what do you do? Okay. So, uh, Because I work at the desk on the other side of my wife's desk, I don't have that issue anymore. So you can be totally drawn to your coworker. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, but I was in an office for, you know, the first five years of our healing. And um, so like if we got a new employee in, I would tell Lori, there's a new woman at work potential trigger for me. I'm going to tell you if I have any interaction with her. And uh, I'm going to tell you if I know I'm about to have any interaction with her. So like if there's a a meeting on Friday that this woman's going to be in, I'm going to tell you when I know that meeting's going to happen. As opposed to waiting until after the meeting and saying, oh yeah, you know, we had a meeting today or Oh, I forgot to tell you last Friday I had a meeting with her because none of that stuff works. <laughs> um, it It's more about uh, being proactive to mention ahead of time. There's a new person at work. I'll let you know about interactions. I will keep them strictly professional, even to the point of being rude. Um, and then I will let you know as soon as that conversation is over. He would even tell me times because this person 
one person he was in the office with on a regular basis. I wasn't too concerned about that because she was showing up. He saw different sides of her character that made her very unattractive. Unattractive. So I wasn't too concerned about her. There was somebody else in another part of the building that he would tell me if he even had to go in that part of the building or if he saw her because she was more of a visual thing versus an interaction thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think the the takeaway I'm hearing is being proactive. Like, um, and and I I mean I think that's a good rule of thumb with a lot of stuff. Is um, I think partners, especially when there there's healing involved, um, can handle um, threats. You know, t- situations that need tools. But yeah it's a lot easier to deal with that than it is to deal with the, Oh, by the way, I lied. I did this. I did that. And Oh, now you're hearing about it after the fact. Um, I had a, I had a friend once, um, he was struggling with YouTube and he was kind of edging around some illicit stuff. And he, um, uh, he, he kind of had that mistaken belief. Oh, I've blown it. I've, I've engaged with this little stuff, so I'm just going to act out. So he, um, he acts out. And so then he goes to his wife to, cause he, he had a very transparent, um, relationship and then agreement that they would talk about any breaches to sobriety. And he starts telling her the story and she's like, the YouTube would have been a lot more preferable to hear about than what just happened, you know? So it's like the faster that you can talk about a threat, the faster that you can talk about even some, some unsound activity, the better, because it's going to reduce that, the impact and, and, and the damage. Um, it's hard to get to that thing, you know, like I, I think it's, um, it's a lot easier to talk about um, you know someone you're drawn to before you've even had any sort of interaction. That's easier than talking about. Oh, I've been thinking about a woman at work for a month. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and the the thing with the YouTube and even you know when you were talking to Michael Leahy, he talked about the smartphone. You know, there's a side of us that doesn't want to give up some of our little our little shots of medicine our little our little doses and so if i talk about youtube well i'm not going back to youtube again that's what this conversation is going to end up with versus if i started at youtube and then i acted out okay well i'm not going to act out anymore but you're not going to shut down the youtube thing and so i have learned like i I only started on Facebook when we started working on the Breaking Free Summit with Michael. I don't have a Facebook account. So because this is for the business, I tell Lori, Lori, I'm about to get on Facebook to check some things out and then I tell her when I'm done. And at some point here, I'm gonna just give her the password or let her change the password because I really don't need to be back out there but I've given up my smartphone. Um, I've given up quite a few like movies. We don't, we don't go to certain movies just because of certain actresses that are going to be in them. Yeah. You know, so 
yeah, you know, okay, I'm giving up certain parts of the entertaining part of life, but I have an awesome relationship with my spouse that is far more entertaining than the, the jazz up on the screen. So I think that's a great point. Lori, what are some tools that you're using now just with, um, with other women, helping other women? What are some things that, that have been most helpful for you? It really depends on where they're at in their own recovery and even where their husband is. But, um, you know, there's breathing techniques when they're feeling triggered. Um, uh, A lot of what it is is just listening to them, validating them. You're not crazy. I would feel, uh, you know, I wouldn't just feel hurt. I'd be if my husband said that to me, you know, that sort of thing. So they're like, okay, great. I'm not crazy. Um, She's giving them permission to feel their feelings just like she got. Yeah. I'll let them know this makes me sad. This hurts my heart. This, you know, that you're going through this. It makes me angry that you're, you have to go through this again, that sort of thing. Um, That's something that's pretty, you know, common across the board. Uh, and then it really depends on where, again, where they're at in their own healing and, and uh, what their goals are. You know, some goal, some women are just looking, how do I get out of this? How do I start shutting this down in a way that protects me, does it in a godly manner? Um, or, you know, I'm ready to see where he's going to land. I'm ready to, to kind of find out, is he just playing me? Is he just getting his cake and eating it too? Um, some specific ones that Jay's reminding me of. Um, there's a, a technique that I have, you know, when they're triggered, of, of if, or not, not if they're triggered in the moment, because that takes something different, but if they're kind of living in this high anxiety, upper chest breathing kind of a thing, um, there's a way to, to, to work on that. And then like with insomnia, I just have her start with relaxing her face, because once you relax your face, um, the mind tends to calm down. I mean, it's just, we've, I found so many tools over the years and we've used so many tools over the years that it's very, very individual to the person as far as what they need in the moment, what's going to help them with their current issue, their current problems. I think that's a great, um, um, a great coach has a lot of tools. So I think that that it seems like women you're working with, you're, you're, um, giving them lots of options and choices. Um, and I, I mean, I really like that idea. And I think that's the interesting thing, even with coaching guys in this is guys getting this real binary way of looking at things like, well, if I cut off YouTube or if I cut off this thing that I like, then there's nothing else. Like, and there's so many options in recovery that you can develop um, areas of life, areas of, of interest, areas of even recovery and healing that, that aren't just, you know, um, cutting off porn. I mean, porn is an unhealthy way of getting self-care. And, and so how, what do you, how are you going to get some of those needs met? Um, and how can you do it in a creative way or how can you, what are the choices here? Matt, one of the things I tell guys or I tell people is when I was deep in porn, I could fantasize, but to me, a fantasy is 
I take somebody else's story and I put myself in it, right? Typical kind of response to porn. I'm in the video as opposed to whoever is in there that I want to replace. But creativity was not something I had because creativity means I have a blank slate in front of me and I need to put something on it. I had no creativity. I, I, it was like, if it's not being given to me and letting me put myself in the scene, what do I, how do I do that? And so the more I got healed, the more actually creative I got, which I thought was, uh, you know, was significant for me. Um, but you also mentioned the thing about kind of this binary thinking or this black, white, good, bad, right, wrong, that a lot of guys tend to get stuck in as opposed to healthy, unhealthy, healthier, mm -hmm. you know, these kind of, there's a lot of options out there and, and we, we kind of, we get, we do get very stuck in this or that as opposed to, no, there's a whole bunch of things out here. And on that, the, the issue with the, the YouTube and, and being creative, I've heard Jay tell guys before, because um, he heard it from somebody else, that, you know, porn is, uh, porn is an arousal addiction. It's like I'm, a, I'm addicted to being somewhere else than this moment right here, right now. And I'm a firm believer that it's a visual thing. You know, it's not just, it's not just I have to see pretty women. It's I have to have the backlit screen. I have to have the... Um, the colors bright and you know contrasting and you know, i believe it's a visual addiction as well so it's like how can we get these if these guys want to see something beautiful let them look at us landscape or you know let's let's re, let's broaden their definition of beautiful and what's beautiful yeah um, hey, so let's, uh, let me wrap up. I want to ask something. So tell me about two years ago, you guys started doing some coaching. Who do you work with? So I work with the guy that's struggling, but oddly enough, because we work with couples, I actually have guys that have come to me that are multiple years free of porn, but they still cannot figure out how to have a conversation with their wife. They're still you know, their wife is triggering and they're like, I just so totally saw you checking out that woman. And the guy's like, I didn't, you know, so I, I help kind of the spectrum of guys from the guy that just got caught or hasn't gotten caught yet. And is afraid he's going to, to the guy who's the bombs already gone off. And now he's trying to clean up the mess. And even the guys that are like years into their own recovery and they're still like, I don't, I don't know what to say to them. Yeah. And I, of course, help the partners. Um, and they're, typically, they're more in the same boat. You know, they're still probably being traumatized by the bad conversations. Uh, still, they might have healed some, but if they're still, like, I always say, um, find out where you're triggered to that's where you're truly healed to. It's just, you've had kind of a, a good, a good run. Things haven't gotten so bad, but when you're triggered, wherever you land, 
if you land at the same place that you used to in the past, then, then there might not have been a whole lot of healing just yet. But for the women that come to me, they're still pretty much in the mix. They're still pretty much in the, the mess. They're, you know, they're still hurting from the first time, plus all the pre the subsequent times, plus their self-esteem might be in the trash, plus their uh, they might feel stupid for ever believing him, you know, after the first couple times. Um, so, and then, so what'll happen is Jay will work with the guy for three or four months to get that relationship pretty well established and get him solid in his recovery. And then I'll be working with the woman on her sanity, her, uh, her own healing, get her solid there, help her to see what her options are for her, her specific situation. Uh, and then we have them, you know, three or four months in, that's when we start looking at bringing them together as a couple. And then so every other week we will talk to them as a couple instead of doing one-on-one -on -one mentoring. But we need to see some things from the guy first. Because if he comes on and he's still pulling the old stuff that he would do to re-injure her in conversations, then we are setting her up for hope being dashed, hope dashed, hope dashed. So we've learned that we need to see certain amounts of humility and lack of his own triggers in, in bad conversations. Otherwise, it's like we're not going to create a ground for you guys to for him to injure her more. Yeah. Yeah. We call those couple to couple talks and we, <clears throat> we then help with how do you, how do you fight? How do you have a uh, uh, discussion usually turns into a fight. So how do you fight? How do you fight fair? What are your ground rules? You know, we start, we start introducing some new tools there and even have them, uh, do a little bit of role play with us, which I, you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything as intimate with, with another couple as watching them have an argument and being there trying to help them walk through that. Yeah. Interpret, interpret like what, what we think they're saying and, and checking in. Are you saying this, you know, cause sometimes we tend to make up with the other person the saying, you know, through our own filter. I think that's an amazing service in the sense that you're, Laura, you're helping partners see their choices. You're helping them um, look at some of the damage, some of the trauma that they've experienced. You're, you're telling them they're not crazy or you're uh, letting them know they're not crazy. They're not alone. Um, and then Jay, you're helping men take responsibility, um, build their plan, you know, find more humility and honesty. Then you're putting them together and giving them tools and teaching them how to fight, how to how to talk about some of these things in healthy ways. Because a lot of the people who are coming to you are, 
even if they have good intentions, are falling into those patterns that you fell into where you're being manipulative or you're defensive and it's just adding more damage to like you're like Lori said, you know, you're you're making it actually worse than what actually happened because of the way that you're handling it. So so that's amazing. What gives you guys energy to do this kind of work? Like, why do you do this? I, it was actually before Jay and I met, I was, uh, became a Christian at 20 and met him at 23. So somewhere in there, it was kind of just me and God and, you know, drew very close to him. um, Very, very close relationship with God. Somewhere in there, I said, God, what is my purpose in life? I wasn't dating at the moment and didn't really want to. And I heard him say clearly, your purpose in life is to have a great marriage and to help others do the same. And I was like, well, I'm not dating anyone right now, so I don't know how you're going to make that happen. But somewhere in there, it was like, I get that. I feel, I can feel it in my bones that I can do that, you know. Uh, so that I, I, I truly believe I'm created to do this work. The second part is just seeing so many women go through the 15 years of hell that I went through. I want to save them that time, you know, and, um, there's something beautiful about marriage that there's not very many really good marriages. I want to give the people around them hope that they can have a great marriage too. Cause I, I'm a firm believer that there's something to that deep. I'm just now studying the depth that God, the, 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 the beauty and the, the spiritual truths that God is trying to explain through the husband and wife, how he's trying to explain himself to the world. I'm just now on the very beginning of, of studying that, that line of thinking but I think there's something that God's trying to say here about himself, about how much he loves us, about the grace through the times that women go again and again and again and say, show me your true self. Cause God wants to know our, uh, our true selves. He's okay with it. But if we can't show it to our wives or our husbands, then there's a good chance that we, we don't trust God either. Uh, for me, uh, so both sets of my grandparents were married for a really long time. One set was actually married for 77 years and they tolerated each other. That was the best way I could put it. I mean, they, it worked. And of course they were married way back in the day, but I never knew you know, I thought marriage was just kind of like living with each other and kind of putting up with each other's stuff, kind of like the American sitcom. And when I found out how much greater it could be, I want other guys to to get that. And And I mean, porn was my drug of choice for 38 years. How many other guys do I want to help, you know, get away from that? I had a discussion with a guy one night and what I, what I really heard from God was uh, the most beautiful stained glass window is made from broken glass. 
you know, broken glass is dangerous. It's, it's sharp. It cuts people. It's terrible. But from that can come something really beautiful. And so many of these guys are, are making broken glass of their marriage right now. And I want them to have something beautiful out of it. Once again, to get the show notes for today's show, go to recoveredman.com slash 142. That's recoveredman.com slash 142. Now I'm going to link to Michael Leahy's Breaking Free Summit. Uh, It's the online summit that I met uh, Lori and Jay Pyatt at. And you can still get access, VIP access, to all the teachings and all the interviews uh, that were done this past December, including uh, my interviews and uh, Jay and Lori's uh, interviews. And um, this would be a great resource if you are recovering um, or if you're in a marriage or a relationship where your partner needs some support. There's tons of resources in uh, the Breaking Free Summit uh, to help partners and to help marriages. So go to recoveredman.com slash 142 and you can get access to that Breaking Free Summit. You can still get access. Now, I also, uh, on the show notes, I'm linking to Lori's website and Jay's website. They have separate websites uh, for their different audiences. So I'm going to say Lori's website right now. It's pornpainhealed.com. That's all one word, pornpainhealed.com. It's the way she says it, her, her motto is his porn, your pain healed, which I think is awesome. So you can go to her site and she's got this great download. If you're a partner, it's called Seven Tools Women Rarely Find. And I read through this, it is great. So you gotta get her free download, Seven Tools Women Rarely Find. And Jay's site, last but not least, is pornisKillingMe.com. I love that title, pornisKillingMe.com. Um, that there's a certain desperation there, and he's got a free guide to take control of your browser. It's it's uh, tips and tricks to 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 kind of porn proof your browser. So check those resources out, and guys, check us out next week, next Wednesday, when there'll be a new episode of Porn Free Radio in your podcast player, and I can't wait uh, to talk to you then. All right, guys, until then, take hope and take action. Be good.